Good morning. Why don't you come grab a seat? Awesome. It's good to see everybody. Thanks for the worship, Mike. It is good to be challenged in trust and sing of the worthiness of our Savior. If uh, we've been in Matthew 9, we are going to be in Matthew 9 again today. This will be the last week we will be in Matthew 9. Uh, And then after Matthew 9, we're going to be in the exciting chapter of Matthew 10. Um, If you want a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Kevin's got a slew in one arm, and you will get one. Or if you want to open up with your electronic device, go ahead. But but let's do this way. Um, if 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 we think about uh, Matthew chapter eight and Matthew chapter nine, Siri thinks I'm talking to her. Okay. Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, would do you, what, what, where do you see Jesus' authority? And let's just answer that question as a little bit of a review. Where do you see Jesus' authority and, and, um, and what's something that is striking to, to you as we, as we kind of just kind of review where we've been? I know last week a lot of us were scattered and so we'll review a little authority over demonic beings it is striking they have to ask him for permission those Poor subordinate demons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he just doesn't bow to the whims of the people. He stands there and draws out faith. That's good. Yeah, uh, if you couldn't hear, she said, uh, authority over like physical illness. You know, we didn't preach on this part, but he just looked on Matthew's mother-in-law and said, okay, we're going to get up now. And, uh, and then when she got up, she had enough strength, not only to get out of bed, but to just serve everybody. So even when I'm finished being sick, I'm still kind of weak. That wasn't her. She was, she was well and strengthened to be able to serve. Authority over nature. Yeah. Calming the winds and the waves. Yeah. He says winds and waves. I, I always think that's interesting. It's like we calm the wind so that takes care of the waves. But I think it means... We didn't wait for the waters to calm down after the wind's gone. 
Like it was just boom. The wind and the waves. Done. And it is a starkness to that. It underscores, I think, his authority over the wind and the waves. Yeah. Authority to forgive sins. Yeah. Yeah, and you can only... Really, our sins are against God. So if you're going to claim authority over sins, you're claiming to be God. What else do we say? Anything else? Jump out. Is there a specific place you see it? Yeah. When he calls Matthew. Yeah. I don't care what you guys think about Matthew. I'm calling him. Pretty awesome. I love it. Yeah, I think that's Matthew's point. Because he just rolls into this. And he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he's this, and he's authority over this, and authority over that. And, and I think that's the point Matthew's trying to get us to be like, whoa. How could, how can we deny this? So, that encourages me. Matthew was making his point on you. Owen. Yeah. Yeah. In the in the breaks here, but when Matthew has these breaks in this chapter, he says stuff, and every time he says stuff, it's this very bold. It's a calling of your whole life. It's an authority he takes over us and and it's always really challenging. But if you recognize I mean, he's calling himself an authority. You can decide to recognize it or not, but he's saying, I've got authority over your life. Absolutely. That's good. We could do this for a while. Authority over death. Biggie, isn't it? Authority over death. Yeah. We're just going to sleep, guys. We're just going to go to sleep and then we're going to wake up. You follow Jesus. I love it. Very cool. We can keep going. Um, but let's pray and we'll keep going in a different way. Father God, I thank you for the chance to come before you with these people and recognize who you are. I thank you for the chance to come before you and have all these people read scriptures and worship and, and to have the truths wash over us. I thank you for the promises and the goodness and all that needs to, needs to be reminded. And I thank you that we get to be reminded here. I thank you that we get to, to come together. And I thank you that you're doing something with this church. You're building us together to be something. And... You, the relationships here matter. 
And Lord, we recognize that Your authority challenges us. Father, and I pray that You would help us bow our knee to it. I pray that You would help us grow up into it. I I pray that You would get the rightful place in our lives that You should have. Really that we want You to have. But yet, Father, we have our fears. So Lord, we ask You to keep teaching us. Keep teaching us in Your Word. And I just thank You for the chance to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew 9. We're going to start in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Stop. What? This is an amazing verse. It's a summary verse? Fine. But it is amazing. I, we need to think about this verse. Okay, Josephus is a historian. He tells us that there were 204 cities in Galilee with 15,000 people or more. 204. So the verse says, Jesus went through all the cities and villages. So probably at least... 204. So 15,000, like if you kind of do the math and try to figure it out, that's like 3 million people around Galilee here. And, and Jesus is going to, Jesus goes to them, all of them. Okay, so, so what's life look like for Jesus? Well, I, I don't know. So he gets up in the morning and, and he's got his disciples with him and he says, hey, let's go over to such and such a place. And they walk and then they get over here and then all day, people. Needs, pushing in on me, healing, healing, drawing out faith, preaching, teaching, go into the synagogue, go into the synagogue for a time of prayer. And, and, and it's, and, and do you think they'd leave him alone when he's like, okay, my time, it's five. No. But then somehow he, he, I mean, eventually goes to bed, hopefully. And then he goes to bed and he gets up the next morning and he goes to another village. And he goes, oh, let's do it in the village. And we do it again. People and talking at once and this and that and like, and the disciples, where are we going to get food for all these people? And like, all of it. And then he finally gets to bed and he does it again. And again. And 204 villages at one a day, eight months. This is life. Now, where does he sleep? 
What does he eat? I'm assuming that maybe the disciples are taking care of that so that he can just keep rolling. I don't know. Maybe they're camping. Maybe people are inviting him into their homes, but that's hard because it's not just him. He's got, he's got his disciples with him, and he's got women following him, and he's got like an entourage of people. And so I don't know how that all looks, but it is. it takes... I just want us to think about the fact of the amount of energy Jesus is putting out towards people to do this. What an undertaking. He is going to do this day after day after day without a place to lay his head. But I key into this, and maybe that's just because I'm in ministry. See how much emotional energy that takes? Dealing with people. Especially if you're going to decide to care. You know, sometimes it says he got up early while it was still dark. And went off and prayed. And I go, well, yeah, of course you do. You just want to be alone. Or there was one time he got in a, he, you know, he got in a boat. He wanted to go to the other side of the lake. And I think he wanted to go to the other side of the lake. So he just, it was a crowd. He wouldn't get away from the crowd. And they ran around the lake. They waded across. And they, and they got there before he did. And they were waiting for him. And, and do you think... He ever rolled his eyes at the crowd and went, oh no. Kevin says, here we go again. Do you think maybe he just kind of got into the fact of doing a day after day, well, this is just my job, and it got mechanical? Do you think... That maybe sometimes the, the, the emotional compassion, the, the, com, the emotional capacity and the compassion just kind of drained out of him. And so it would just, he just got professional. Well, this is what you do for a case of the faithlessness. Go to verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Hey, Brandon, I'm just remembering, did you preach on this passage before? Yes, yes, I did. And I'm preaching on it again. Compassion. Compassion, that's the mark. That's the mark of Jesus. That's his attitude, Jesus. And, and, and did he not see the sin? Did he not see the rebellion and the hurting one another and the selfishness? Did he not see it? I'm sure he did. I'm sure he understands they're accountable for their sin. I'm sure he understands the responsibility of their sin. I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts. He knew they were evil. And, he, and, 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 and he's got to know all that. 
But it says he sees them as harassed and helpless. Exploited. That they've been lied to. These people are just adrift, wandering, bruised, helpless, overlooked. How did he do that? How did he look at people like that? Do you, you know how? Because he can look on the inside. I can only look on the outside. I can only look on the outside. I look on the outside and I go, oh, look, Beeler, his, he's got a really long beard. And you look at me and you go, oh, Brandon needs a haircut. And, you know, like, we look at each other. We have our clothes and our faces and, and somebody's got a sunburn. And that's what we see. But Jesus looks on the inside. And he sees the devastation of sin. And where we see devastation of sin, we have a choice to walk into compassion. He just sees them as leaderless fools. Like, they move as a group, but they move as a group without a leader. And like, how does that happen? Well, you know, fads and (laughs) just the way things happen to go. I was thinking about compassion, and I was thinking this teaching, and I decided I'd work outside. And so I decided, I decided to listen to rock from the years 2000 to 2010. So found myself a good playlist, and I'm listening to rock from 2000 to 2010. I would not normally listen to this plague list uh, for several reasons, but, but here I am. And I'm going to do this. Now, I'm going to speak about rock from 2000 to 2010. I know that most people in this room are either pre or post that being your music listening to decade. Like, I just understand. And I am preaching this to me. So you can just listen. Um, so I started off and I listen in and, and I hear a song. And I kind of know the song, but I don't really know what it's about. Because, you know, the, that song's like that. And, and, I, and I start listening to the words, and I go, oh, this is about a broken relationship. I'm like, okay. And then, and so, you know, and I'm, I'm, um, and we get to the next song, and I go, oh, this is about a broken relationship. Oh, pain and broken relationship. And then I'm like, oh, this song's about a broken relationship, but this one's a little different. It's anger in a broken relationship, but broken relationship. And I go, look, wow, okay. And it got me in the think. Every single song that came in, I started thinking about, okay, what's this song about? Let me give you a few themes. Theme number one, pain. Send the pain below as the name of a song. Broken by a happy little band named Seether. Or um, Scars, as the name of a song, by um, Papa Roach. That's also a happy band named Papa Roach. 
But they have a hit, last resort, cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. And he ends the song by saying, I'm running and I'm crying, crying, crying. And then the song's over. A song by title of How Can I Live? Or I'm Torn? Or Animal I Have Become? Even the Christian band. Christian band had a hit during this time, P.O.D., Youth of the Nation. You know what it's about? It's about how hard life is for the youth in our nation. Not all that different than offspring. Kids aren't all right. And that's the first theme. Next theme is um, anger, I think, that comes from that pain. So we have anger against people. I hate everything about you. Why do I still love you? I'm singing along. <laughs> Two days, Grace. And then, and then we have, I hate the government. Because, of course, it's the government's fault. So, Lincoln Park, I hate the government. System of a down, we hate the government. Rage against the machine, I put it in my band name. I hate the government. I hate God. Here we go, I hate God. This is the time of Nine Inch Nails and Godsmack and Judith and Marilyn Manson. Even though he made a comeback, they hate God. And it's like, I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know, when I was a kid, I listened to classic rock. And classic rock was happy. And it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We're all, so we're happy with our sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And it was very happy. But I don't think that brought a lot of good fruit. And so now, so they, and then in the, and then in the 80s, you had a like, you had a little bit more pain, but a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, Aerosmith and Def Leppard, where, where yeah, that's right. We're rocking the shirt, the Def Leppard shirt today. <laughs> yeah, that was still happy. That was pour some sugar on me and Aerosmith is loving an elevator. But you know, the 2000s is not happy anymore. And that's my generation. I'm in my 20s, they're in their 20s, they're singing, we're all singing, and you know how to make a hit in the 2000 to 2010? You make a hit by singing about your pain. Even Aerosmith crossed over. Their hit during the time was jaded. Oh, that's a little different, Aerosmith. And we don't, you don't get to know what's in someone's heart. We just get to see on the outside. But sometimes in music, you do get to find what's in someone's heart. And when you see pain, and when you see difficulty, and when we hear it in other people's heart, like can, can we hear it? 
Like, like whenever Nessus sings, bring me to life, wake me up inside. Okay, I hear it. I hear the cry. And of course, that resonated with my whole generation. Now, where am I? But you know, you know, when I, I came here, we started the well, although I don't think it was called the well when we started. And, and you know, it was interesting to me when I hit campus, because every generation is different, we, we continued to have, I think, bad fruit in, in America, and, and we, we hit, um, everybody wanted to talk about hope. That was really thrown to me. I never talk about hope in my, my whole life. Like, hope, I, because it was a decay of hope. See, in the past, we just had the thought, well, America's going through some hard times, but we'll make it through. We're a strong lot. I don't care that anymore. We don't have heroes. People feel harassed and helpless, I think. But that's okay, because the poor in spirit will see God. And it's not the healthy people that go see a doctor, it's the sick. But why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus decide to come and care that much? Because for God so loved the world, because God is love. He is coming to care. And care is a choice. So there's a day I stood on the Mount of Olives and I overlooked Jerusalem. And I stood there and I, whoa. And I thought, this is beautiful and this is amazing and I'm in Jerusalem and I try to pick out all the sites and where I am and what direction is this. And that's what I'm doing. But Jesus stood on this, I don't know, same spot, but same ridge. And he decided to feel. And he said, and he started to cry. And he said, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I long to pull you in like a hen gathers her chicks. But you would have none of it. And he decided to care. He decided to see. When you and I look around, what do we see? We get to decide what we see when we're driving in traffic and when we go to work. We can make a choice. Alright, then he says they are sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. And oh, there's so many Old Testament passages about God being kind of like a shepherd and leading and feeding and protecting. So let's, let's look at a few. Psalm 
Ezekiel, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So, so he says, my servant David shall be a prince among them. David's already dead. So interpret that one. It's, it's the Messiah that's going to come from David's line. He'll be the shepherd. He'll feed. All right, next one. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. We've already seen this. This one Matthew's already quoted. We might be back here around Christmas. Next verse, and awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. We have prophecy here, but the whole scripture speaks of this shepherd. And I want you to see this compassion is here because he's the Messiah, because he's the shepherd. His compassion is evidence that he's the shepherd. Because Jesus sees need and has compassion on it, that authenticates Jesus is the Messiah. So we've said, hey, his authority authenticates it, and his healing authenticates it, and this, and this, and this. But his compassion... Because we don't respond like that. People don't respond like that. But Jesus. Jesus came as a shepherd. And he came in compassion. Alright, let's read verse 37. We're moving fast enough, right? Yeah. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send, to send out labors into his harvest. Okay, the metaphor changes. We're not talking about shepherds anymore. But I think he's trying to get his disciples to have some compassion. So the fields, he says, hey, the fields of people are ready. The people are ready. There are a large number of people waiting to hear the message of the kingdom of God. That's still true. Isn't that amazing to think about? There are a large number of people waiting to hear the message of the kingdom of God. That's playing in English first. There are a large number of people waiting. Well, what's the problem? If they're waiting, we need laborers. They need people to proclaim the good news to them. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I know where I am. Where am I?
So people are like wheat. That's, that's the thought. So there's wheat and there's weeds out there and there's, there's fields of wheat and it's, and it's ready and we need people to go out and do the harvest. And if you don't do the harvest when it's harvest time, then the wheat stays out there. The wheat dies. Jesus says, it's like a harvest. We need to go out and harvest or the wheat die. The people die. And he didn't say all that, but in the analogy. So I go, okay, I hear you. Let's go. Let's do an evangelism training class. Let's recruit some people. Let's go. Let's get some missions conferences. We, man, let's, let's be people of action. Except that's not what's first here in this verse. We're supposed to pray. We're, and he doesn't say pray that lots of people would get saved. Which, he doesn't say that. It's, it's, I think it's a fine prayer. I, I actually pray it a lot. But he wants us to pray for the means. He wants us to pray for the people. Workers. Raised up by him. Gifted by him. Empowered by him. Given faith for the difficulty of it. Reminds me of Ezekiel 22. And can you, while I intro this, put up Ezekiel 22, 30 and 31? So, Ezekiel is in, Jerusalem's in a bad spot. And God is, God is looking for something. Kind of interesting, in the Old Testament he sometimes looks around for something and sometimes he sees it. And sometimes he does it. So there's a bad spot. God's looking for something. Very interesting what he's looking for. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. The first person God is looking for here is not someone to pick up a gun. He's not looking for a missionary. He's not looking for a prophet. He's not looking for a pastor. He's looking for an intercessor. He's looking for someone like Moses. The people worship the golden calf and Moses shows up and Moses says, God, please don't destroy them. God, I beseech you, have mercy and Moses stands in the gap and the Israelites are not destroyed. Here. Just makes me think. The first thing God's looking for is intercessors. That's first. The first thing here. He wants to send his disciples on a training mission. It's like, but first, we need intercessors. You disciples need to pray. We need to pray. It makes me just kind of think about like, like we could have, we could be grieved over what happens has become of America. We could be grieved about, about our country. We could be grieved about certain things. And, I, and that grieving is good. But can, do we have a Lord Moses in us? Do we have intercessors 
We're just grievers. I think about an unreached people group in India. Does God look down in the unreached people group and He goes, you know what we need? Intercessors. Do I see anyone? Is there anybody willing to stand in the gap for this unreached people group? Now, I realize I look out, I look out on this, this, this congregation, probably most of us will not go to an unreached people group in India. But we can go there on our knees. And God may be looking for intercessors first. Will you engage your heart in compassion and pray to the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth workers into His harvest? I think, I think that's, the, that's the long and short. Okay. okay, now, there's no record they prayed. you got to love the Bible. No record whatsoever. I, I am... Um, I just pictured, okay, boys, is Jesus, you've seen all these people, you see all those crowds, you see all the need, you see me like pouring my life out. We need to pray there's more laborers. I'm not going to be able to do this forever. And so they pray. Now, I don't know if one person led them all in a prayer. I don't know if they each prayed. I don't know if they prayed for hours or all night. I don't know if they prayed for weeks. We don't get to know any of it. I want to know what their prayers were. Like, like, or were they, I mean, I'm sure it was different for different people, but they might have been scared, or maybe they were just like super excited. God, send me, God, send me. Or were they filled with compassion? Or maybe they just wanted to help Jesus. Whatever I can do to help. Disciples have a unique opportunity here. They're going to change right here. They are disciples, which means they're learners, they're watchers, they're hearers, they're processors, and then they change. They become Apostles. The apostle means sent ones. They're going to become sent ones. There comes a point in our journey where we're not just learners anymore. We're sent ones. An apostle. Now, what do you think would have happened if one of them said, well, you know, I don't want to be sent out. I want to stay right here. We should read the verse first before we get too far. Chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease. And every affliction. Now skip to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them. And then he gives them instructions. We, that'll be next week. So these 12 he sent out. 
What an opportunity to do that. In, in, in the natural process, a baby is born and they grow and they mature. And in the spiritual world, we are born into the kingdom of God and we grow and mature. And, part, and there's part of that growth of maturity that we move from disciples to apostles. And we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. And I think the question I was thinking about is, are we willing to allow ourselves to be sent? And we, don't, we never stop learning. We, we never stop growing, but there's an, uh, there's an excitement when we're sent. The verse that was quoted in our prayer time was, Matthew 28, and, and I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The context is in the, the going. He is with us. So I, I bring this up because I'll tell you where we're going. Chapter 10, Jesus preaches a sermon. He preaches a sermon to the, his disciples who are going to go. So he's going to talk about what he wants them to do. He's going to talk about the difficulties they're going to face. He's going to talk about the internal fortitude they need to be able to do what he's asked. He's going to preach a sermon to the goers. Is Jesus going to preach that sermon to you? Are we the audience? You know, in the paragraph before, I was thinking about the disciples. There's a list of them. Here are the 12 disciples. So let me, let me um, we'll close here in a minute, but let's do a little exercise. What do you know about Peter? Think of something Peter did. Impulsive? Do you, what are you thinking about? Just spewing stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Give me some examples. If you can think of examples of something Peter did. He sank, yes. But he did, I mean, he walked on water and then he sank. Okay. He cut up someone's ear. He had been with Jesus three and a half years and he didn't realize that Jesus wouldn't want him to swing at a sword to someone and try and kill them. Oh, Peter. Peter, put that sword away. And then Jesus healed the ear. To his defense, Jesus asked him to bring the sword. But anyway, different sermon. He stood up and preached at Pentecost. Yes, keep coming. Denied Jesus three times. Yes, absolutely. Confessed Jesus as the Christ. Yes. He saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. Or he led him, yep. He what? He let them all? Ran into the tomb? You guys are too easy on Peter. Yeah, like, he's on top of a mountain with, 
what is it, Elijah and Moses, and he goes, hey, hey guys, it's good to be here. What are you saying, dude? Shut your mouth. What? Paul had to oppose him to his face. Jesus opposed him to his face. Who remembers that? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> oh. Okay, we got a guy who denied Jesus three times. Get behind me, Satan. Impulsive. You start thinking about it, you can do this for all of them. You know the sons of thunder were called sons of thunder because they wanted Jesus to call down fire and nuke people. Jesus said, no, and I'm going to call you sons of thunder, and I'm sure the other disciples made sure it stuck. You go through and you're like, these guys are idiots, and they're faithless, and they don't see. And Jesus wants to do a miracle, and they're running the numbers, and they're like, Oh, eight months of wages wouldn't do that. And Jesus is like, don't run the numbers. But they're willing. And that's what Jesus saw. He didn't say, I'm looking for CEOs to go to the harvest field. Just looking for a laborer, a guy that'll go. That's what I'm looking for. Just willing. And all of you, that's comforting to me. It's comforting to me. Next week, I also hope is encouraging. And Jesus is going to talk to, Jesus is going to preach a sermon. And by God's grace, we'll hear it. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I want to talk directly to you here. Jesus, I thank you for working so hard when you were here. I thank you for your heart for people. And that means you have a compassionate heart to me. You could look at me, see my rebelliousness and sin and waywardness. And... But you have the heart of a shepherd. Lord, I praise you for that. Lord, we desire to choose to care and to choose to be in a framework of compassion and prayer. Lord, would you strengthen us to that? Lord, would you help us follow you, be like you? And, and Lord, you're asking us to go, but I think you're asking us to go with that heart. And so, Lord, Lord, I thank you that you give good gifts. You give the gift of faith. You give the gift of compassion. So strengthen that in us. And I, I, uh, it's good to see you. God, and it's good to have a Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks, guys.